If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm chapter 48. And uh, for those of you who have been around uh, for the last several weeks, you know that we're in a series that I'm calling Pure and Simple. And it's just God's intent for the church. It's just looking at how did God design the church and how are we expressing that here at Neighborhood Bible Church. About three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I guess, we took lap one of worship. And we're doing this in a very... uh, Near Eastern kind of a way, and the way that they attack topics is not linear but circular. So they'll go at it, and they'll come back and touch on it again, and that's what we're doing right now. So we're on lap two of worship, so to speak. If you were here a few weeks ago, you remember talking about worship that that accepts no substitutes, and carob is not a substitute for chocolate. Go and test me on this, people. You'll discover it's completely and 100% true. Um, That God is God, and there's no substitute for God. There's one God. Uh, Something else that we talked about was just the idea that worship is putting a smile on God's face. If you want to just boil it down to things and and really give a simple definition of it, that's what it is. Worship is putting a smile on God's face. I love this. I was writing in my office this week on Monday, and Ben was kind of testing out this song, Unto You. We've never done that in this service before. It's a Shane Bernard song. I hear it all the time. Um, But as he's singing this song, one of the lines of this song was, All I want to do is make you smile. And I was writing down a review of what we covered on worship a few weeks back. And I'm like, no way! And those kind of things are so cool. I jump out of the office. I'm like, Ben, guess what I was just writing when you started to sing that line about all I want to do is make you smile. And you're going to do that song this week? That's really cool. And that's just a simple thing to to go through life and think about. Is Is this putting a smile on my father's face? If it is, it's worship. And we talked about the fact that worship certainly doesn't confine itself here. We also talked about different expressions of worship. Some of you are Volvos in here. Some of you are Minis. And we just talked about the, the fact that there's, there's differences there. And we can see and recognize those. We also talked about this. I asked wh- whether you'd rather live without your head or without your heart. And it's a, it's a non-question, right? They're both absolutely necessary. And so it is in our worship. That to engage in worship with only your heart and not your head is unbiblical and, and unchristian worship. And to do the same thing, but subtract the, the, what did I just say? Invert it. That's wrong too. That's what I'm trying to get at here. Um, so that, so that, that both are there. Uh, worship is just a core and ongoing part of being a follower of Christ. Isn't it true that you never arrive at worship? It's never like you, you can arrive and say, well, I've checked that off. That's just one of those things that will go on for eternity. In fact, it will really go on for eternity. It's really powerful to read in Revelation scenes that are happening right now around the throne room of a massive being. And there's just nothing but endless praise coming to God right now. Right now. This same God that we're singing about. The same one that we just, we just reverently poured our hearts out to and said, How great you are. Do you realize that for eternity... There's, there's going to be and is worship going on. And that's a powerful thought. It's an ongoing part and a core part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, in our worship uh, kind of process, we put that first. Loving God, falling in love with God and establishing a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ is absolutely step number one. That's where it all begins. It all begins with worship. And really, it all flows out of that. One of the things I love about Advent Conspiracy is it talks about this. It all starts with worship. That's one of the things in the video that I love. This is an act of of worship in terms of thinking about Christmas differently. It's not due to guilt or good works to earn something. 
One of the things we're committed to with our weekend services is to help foster this idea of worship. And to come together and to, to promote and engage and come at it from different angles and to, to build this up in our lives. One of the emphasis that we've had here at this church from its inception is this, that worship is not an event, but it's a life. And that's not revolutionary or trying to be profound, but it's just a core part of who we are. And we don't just try and say those as words, but live that as a, as a life. And, and if you think about it, to separate our worship from our life, what that does is it, is it leads to religion, right? If we compartmentalize this and somehow think that this is worship, but, but God, let me have my life the rest of the time. Or let me give you 10% of the week and I'll kind of live off the rest. I need some of my own space. What that is, is that's compartmentalizing our lives. And that leads to religion. Go home and read the book of 1 John with this thought in mind. That to separate our worship from our lifestyle leads to religion and is disgusting to God. Just, just have that be an overarching thought. And just read the book of 1 John. It's amazing. Because it's, it's black and white, according to the Bible. And religion never saved anyone. In fact, all it does is it, it puts shackles on you and it enslaves you. And so it's the opposite. It's actually something that Jesus came and combated when he came and walked the earth. He combated religion. I think at this church, we've done a really good job of emphasizing that for an hour and 15 minutes, this is not our walk with God. This is not just what worship is about. This morning, what I want to do is this. I want to shift the focus and say, however, what we do in here on a Sunday morning is profoundly important. And your being here this morning is profoundly important to your walk with God. This corporate setting is kind of the focus of our, of our time today. I want you, um, if you're not there at, at Psalm 48, turn to Psalm 48. While you're doing so, let me just share about my own upbringing. Some of you know my story a little bit. But I grew up going to church every other weekend. And truth be told, I enjoyed um, much of the time. I would say I enjoyed sleeping in and watching cartoons on Sunday at my kind of non-church home that I grew up in. And then on the off weekends, because my parents were divorced, I would go and I would go to church every Sunday. Now, let me tell you about that side of my upbringing for a minute, okay? Here's how it went down in the Carlson home. There was no vote as to whether we were going to church on a Sunday morning. There was no panel discussion. There was no coming of age where it got to be my decision. Guess what happened? On Sunday morning, we went to church. Anyone else have this same kind of upbringing where it was, there was no, yeah, there was no discussion involved in this at all. Okay, there was discussion in certain other things, but we were told we were going to church. And anytime we went to my dad and said, do we have to go to church? Anyone hear that before? Do we have to go? My dad would say, no, we get to go. It's an opportunity. And I'm like, I still, I'm like, I don't know how to get around that. That's a good one, Dad, you know. And now my kids probably hear the same thing. But my dad was a morning person. He'd wake up every Sunday morning. He'd come walking in, um, and we'd be in the covers, and he'd be singing, you know, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. My mom would be like, that the Lord has... No, she didn't really. That would have been cool, though. If they did a duet, that would have been sweet. But, but it wasn't charming or funny to me at that time. You know, by, by this time, I'm like 14 going, stop! Like, that's just horrible. But we went to church, and it was not up for, up for debate or discussion. Uh, I was a junior high pastor for a lot of years, and I'd have parents come up to me, and they'd say, uh, man, Dave, we, we really think what you're doing here is great, and we've heard great things from other families about what's going on and how God's been changing their kids' lives. We just don't know how to make our kid go to church. You know, How do we get them to the program? 
And I'd look at the parent and I'd tell them this. I'd say, you make them go. I'd say, you make them come. And, and they would be thrown back at that. Some parents. Some parents would not know what to do with that because there's a certain undercurrent that says, well, we can't make our kids do anything. Nonsense. We make our kids do a ton of things, right? I don't want to hurt Johnny's feelings. Go ahead and play in the freeway. I don't want to hurt your self-esteem. Forget about your body that's going to get hit by a truck or something. We, we, we make our kids do all kinds of things. I would tell parents, make them come and just have them show up. And guess what? Way more than nine times out of ten. I'd say 99 out of 100. Parents that took me up on that would battle for a season and then their kids would be dragging them to church and say, we're not missing youth group. And it wasn't some miracle thing that, that the team had or that I had or anything like that. It was that we were giving them Jesus. And it wasn't so much about what I had to say on a subject or what their small group leader had to say on a subject. It was what God had to say on a subject. And so you make them come to church. And so I look back and only at years later have I gone to my parents and I've told them, I've said, thank you very much for making me go, even on many Sundays when I did not want to be sitting in this kind of a service doing church. Uh, Psalm 48, starting in verse 9, follow along with me. It says this, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels that you, that you may tell of them. To the next generation. For this God is our God. Forever and ever. He will be our guide. Even to the end. Now there's so many places in Psalms. Particularly that I could have gone to. Just just kind of open up with what we're talking about. But one of the things I love about the Psalms. Is that they're filled with this idea. Of coming together as a community. Coming together as a people. And meditating on the unfailing love of God. Worship has guidelines and boundaries. There's kind of two extremes to this. Some would say it's a free-for-all and it's not a free-for-all. And some would kind of go the other route and say it's a formula. And guess what? It's not a formula. So at the two kind of far walls of things that the Bible sets up, it's not a formula where you just come and do some religious kinds of things. I came, I gave, I was attentive, I even filled out the little thing that the pastor wanted me to write in. And for 20 years... I don't know why I've never, ever felt close to or known God. That's because perhaps worship for you has been mistaken, that that, that it's somehow about following a checklist, and if you do these things, this end result will happen. I would say guard against that. Guard against me if I come and I say, let me tell you the three steps that will ensure you as a married couple will have a perfect marriage. Let me tell you four things that are going to make, that are going to ensure that you're going to be close with God this, this, this coming year. It's not formulaic. We see that in life. That's pretty plain to see. And to try and boil it down to a couple of principles that we just master only frustrates us, doesn't it? Because we go, oh, good, I, go, I, I bought this book, I bought this tape series, I went to this conference. I've got the principles, but my life is still the way it is. My walk with God is still the way it is. Read the stories of the people of God. Sometimes it just doesn't work out for them. 
over and over and over. And yet they were hailed as, they were regarded as people who were faithful, people who walked with God. And sometimes I take huge encouragement from that. It's also not a free-for-all where whatever feels good for you and however you think it should be, you just do that. That's a really popular common idea right now. It sure appeals to me as wanting to have my choice in things. And I'll be honest with you, I'd love it if it was just kind of however I felt like it. Because sometimes I totally feel like being here. In fact, I'll be really blunt with you. Most Sundays, I absolutely adore coming to this church, coming to see you, and even just the role I feel and what gets to go on. There are some Sundays I don't. And on those weeks, I just go, Lord, I'm, I'm glad that I actually have a role here and I'm going to show up out of obedience. And we're going, to get, we're going to get into this. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited. But that's just the truth of it. If, it. if it was a free-for-all, then on weeks that I felt like sleeping in, I'd sleep in. Gosh, we've had a long week, Lord. We've had sick kids. Surely you understand. I'm going to worship you laying on my back with my eyes closed this week. That's kind of the free-for-all idea, right? So it's not a free-for-all. It's not a formula. Any, any discussion about worship needs to go this route. And, and just so you know, man, the, the guys and gals in the band, and Rob and I, every week, I would say, I, either on the phone or over burritos or texting or something, we're always talking about worship. And we're always talking about how do we do this thing? How, do we, how did it go last week? What were the distractions? What were, what were the things that helped things along? And what is worship? Kind of a, a bigger topic. Any discussion of worship has this tension between the, the fear of God and the love of God. Have you noticed this in Scripture? There's, there's the fear of God, and that causes people to worship. But then you also see, man, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, and the love of God that we love to sing about. But those are intention, so to speak. And you better include both of them as you kind of discuss. There's also a tension between God's distance, His otherworldliness, the fact that He exists on a different plane, not just on a different place, but as we just sang, He's unattainable. He's indescribable. We, we can't even get our brains around Him with our language or our imagination. He's so distant. And yet there's this closeness to God. We sing this song, Be Near, and there's this, there's this nearness about God that's, that's remarkable and blows our minds. I love the way that the song Obsession by Crowder says, it says, I put in your notes, sometimes you're further than the moon, sometimes you're closer than my skin. And that's the way it is when you walk with God. Those two in some ways are intention. There's a certain kind of pendulum swing that I think as we worship it, it ought to be kind of going back. I think our thoughts ought to always begin with the grandness of God. The fact that we have this, this huge God that's out there. And if you're not meditating on passages of Scripture that, 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 that talk about this really huge God that could squash you easier than you squash a bug, then, then you ought to. Because that will drive you to worship. The image that we had up while we were scrambling to put the video on of the universe, just go really far out someday with your study. And just start looking at things and just realize that we serve a huge God. But then your, your, your pendulum, it, it ought to kind of swing back to this idea that God is close. And, and, and that God is intimate with us. And we ought to marvel at this intimacy that's available because of Jesus Christ. I think I put it in your notes this week, but Isaiah 57, verse 15, it's as if God's speaking about this, and He says this, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. This is that, this is that idea that God is huge. Don't be flippant when we 
approach God and talk about God. This is the high and holy one. Now watch what the very next part of this verse says. But also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Also he is with him, in other words. Uh, he who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's God with us. We saw this in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, right? That he was here. He dwelt among us. But then it says that after he leaves, he says, when I leave, a comforter is going to come. It's going to be even better because I'm going to be with you all the time because the Spirit of Christ is actually going to dwell in you. And that's what the gift of the Holy Spirit is all about. That this, this huge and far away God is now in us all the time, with us all the time. And that's the Counselor. That's the Holy Spirit that resides in us. In discussing how do I feel close to God, Rich Mullins, kind of before he started a concert, he used to like to, he used to, like to kind of show up. He was a pretty unassuming guy, even though he was pretty famous. And he was a part of the, you know, kind of touring contemporary Christian scene back in the day. But he'd show up at, at concerts and, and he'd just kind of mingle around the crowd, you know, being Rich Mullins, hanging out. And some people would recognize him, some people wouldn't. But, um, but he'd just got, you know, he'd just get up in front of a crowd and, and just start talking. And they didn't know if this was the, you know, I mean, he didn't dress like the, the main part of the show and all that. And one time he's kind of going on about this and he's talking about the, how to feel close to God. And here's what he said. He said that closeness to God is not about feelings. Closeness to God is about obedience. It's just as simple as that. He went on to say this. I don't know how you feel close to God. I know that if we obey, occasionally the feeling follows, but not always. I know if we disobey, we don't have a shot at it. Here's where I want to start this morning with regard to what we're doing here. Is that one of the reasons that on the Lord's Day we set aside time and we say we are going to have a time where the community comes together under one roof to praise God, even if it's not hip, even if it's not what the current thing is, is because it's commanded in Scripture. It's something that God commands us to do. So really it becomes kind of a simple act of obedience. If you go back and read the law in the Old Testament, you'll see the word Sabbath. And Sabbath really just means rest. It's a day of rest. But the Sabbath had certain prescriptions to it, didn't, didn't it? Those of you who've read this understand there are long and detailed ways that you're to celebrate the Sabbath. And isn't it curious, isn't it interesting that God actually commanded you and I to rest. He commanded the people of God to stop. Stop. And just breathe in, breathe out, and here's what we're going to do on the Sabbath. The New Testament version of this um, would be the idea of not forsaking the assembling together of the church. Commonly, you see in different places in Scripture that they would meet together on the Lord's Day, and after the resurrection, it shifted to a Sunday, and Christians from then on have been celebrating this way and coming together as the people of God. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that God would command us to do something? Here's why. And by the way, think about this as parents for a minute. It ought to be enough for us as the children of God that if God commands us to do something, even if we don't see the benefit of it, we just do it. How many of you obey that perfectly? Good. No hands are up. I'll bring mine down. That was just an example. None of us do. 
we ought to, I ought to, as a parent, show a little more grace to my own children when they ask the question, why? My usual answer is, well, just do it, because I'm super smart. No, I don't say that. That's what I'm thinking. But um, I probably ought to show a little more grace to my kids, because I do the same thing to God. And there's a certain sense that this sermon ought to end right now. God commanded us to do this, guys. Let's just do it and obey and see what God has for us. But because I'm in the same boat as you, uh, we're going to continue. Look at a couple of reasons why. I'm not positive because I'm not God. I'm not the Father. I'm not the one with wisdom. But I do know God's commanded us to do this, and it's an act of obedience to show up and be at church. Here are at least two great needs that every single week are met by the idea of Sabbath. There's a great psalm, Psalm 4610, that says, Be still and know that I am God. The first part of it is be still. You have a great need, a great desire to rest. And once a week, there's a certain sense of this, this rhythm of life. You see this written really all into the scriptures. There's a, there's a rhythm to life that goes on. And God makes allowances for that. He does it with nature and creation and the land, giving it rest. He does it with work cycles. He does it with work with celebration cycles. And if you kind of look at the life of the people of God and the way God prescribed it, he did it in conjunction with the rhythm of life and the fact that we need this. It allows for us to invest time in reflection of the past week, and it reminds us that you and I are more than what we do. Isn't it easy to let your role start to define you? And then you think, well, however I'm doing it, that is how I am. It's how, in, in, how important I am or how valuable I am. And God says to us, at least once a week, put it down, stop it, and just rest in the knowledge that you're my child. And that's really invigorating. It allows you then to not worship your job, worship your role, worship the titles that people heap on you, and you can go at it and attack it in a really healthy way, in a worshipful way. To say, this is what I do, it's not who I am. I was overlooked for the promotion, but I'm not overlooked by the God of the universe. I can breathe easy. God's got it under control. Rest is needed. The second thing that it provides for us is a second thing that is a desperate need of ours every single week, and that is worship. Be still is the first part. Know that I am God is the second part. Doesn't knowing that God is God change your perspective? It just lessens your worries. I often fret about, God, what am I supposed to tell these people? I really love you guys. I look around and I just see relationship. And that's been by the grace of God. You loving and accepting me and me doing the same to you. And so it's a stressful thing sometimes to think about, God, I want to serve these people really, really well. I want to honor you really, really well. We're talking about worship for Pete's sake. This is, this is pretty near and dear to the heart of God. God, what do you want said to our people tomorrow morning? And if I allow things to get out of whack, I can put myself either, either way down or way up in thinking that I have too much say in all of this. Thank you, Les, for reminding me that everyone here in this room is going to remember about 5% of what I say. Remember the good parts, please. Just write down the good things. You know what? It's really, really healthy for me to just remind myself, God, you're God. This is all about you. This is for you. You're the one who's in control of this and orchestrating all of this. That's a really important thing to remember. 
It also reorients your values when you come and you just meditate in the assembly that God is God. It reorients your values. Reminds you of what's important. Do you, do you just think about this? Those who don't come to church on a weekly basis and think about such things, here are the times in general that people slow down and think about what's really important. Maybe holidays, but that video we just watched shows the, the nature and tenure of holidays on some level. And holidays more and more are getting stripped from kind of the spiritual value they had anyways. I'll tell you when it is. Maybe at weddings. For sure at funerals. And that's it. I mean, sure, there's other times that it can creep up. But on a regular basis, those are, those are gathered times where we can come and think about eternity and think about really big kinds of things. We have the opportunity every single week to come and reorient our values in thinking about what's really, really important. What's really, really going to last also reminds us of, of our identity, and it prepares us for the coming week. Now, I know that some people, I was a college pastor for a long time, so I know, I know this one well. Someone will come to me and say, but I worship. I worship best when I'm out hiking. I worship really well when I'm wakeboarding. I worship well when I'm fishing or watching TV and marveling at the gifts God's given other people. While eating nachos. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different things that we can say. And all of that, I would say, you know what? Uh, farmer's market with your coffee on a sunny morning, uh, wakeboarding, football, whatever. I said, all those are great. In fact, invite me sometime. I'd love to come with you on any and all of those activities. Because I agree. I think I could worship in all those settings too. Here's what I know though. I know that God hasn't commanded us to do that every week. God has not commanded me to wakeboard every week. I've looked for it. Trust me. He has commanded me to gather with the Lord's people every week. And so it's an obedience thing. You just come back to it and say, this is an obedience thing. By the way, my family, we never took a vacation from God. We went camping every single year for a couple of weeks up at Lake Eleanor. And we became you know, quasi-members at, it was like Chester Community Church or whatever it was. We went to church when we camped. We packed one nice pair of clothes and didn't get to touch them until Sunday and we went to church. And if we were on a trip somewhere, I guarantee you, this is pre-internet, people. This took some effort. My dad was going to find us a church. And we were going to be in church on Sunday. Now, there's something about that as a kid. There was parts of me that rebelled at that and thought, gosh, that's a little bit fanatical, isn't it? I mean, come on. We're on a road trip. Let's just take a breather. But I look back also and I say, you know what? My dad and mom understood This is something that's been commanded. We're just going to do it. We're going to take the Lord up on his command. And we're going to be with the people of God, doggone it, even if we have to go find some church that we've never been to and feel a little bit uncomfortable. We're going to go do that. And that instilled something in me that said, that's pretty important. Now, you'll know, this is a sermon that I preach very infrequently. One of the things we haven't been about here is church attendance. And I don't look around and go, hey, I haven't seen you for a couple weeks. We're not that church. Because I think that leads to religion. I think that confuses and clouds all sorts of issues. But while I have the opportunity, because we're talking about this, let me just say, it's important that you're here. It's important that you are spending time together. I have a question that we're going to dive into as community groups. But is our weekly worship based on convenience or commitment? And again, this isn't a guilt trip to say, you know, uh, 52 weeks of year uh, of, of church attendance. It never impresses God. That doesn't somehow earn you a higher place in heaven. Certainly won't get you something better in my book. It will say this, though. It will say, I take God up on his word seriously, and I want to obey it. 
whether it's convenient or not, we're going to be at church as a family. And as a kid who grew up under that mentality, it does something to you. It drives something into you kind of deep. I put this in your bulletin notes as well. Rick Warren says in his book, Better Together, in our corporate worship, we worship in ways we are unable to by ourselves. As we sing and celebrate together, pray and confess together, share and meditate together, give offerings and commit together, our faith is reaffirmed, our hope is reinforced, and our love is renewed. That can only happen in community. Man, you've got to circle that last part. That can only happen in community. There's something God does when we do this together. Last part of the morning, I just want to spend a little bit of time about what's supposed to happen on a Sunday. How is it supposed to look? We asked this question as we were putting a church together. We said, you know what? Uh, the sky's the limit. We don't have to do things just like Valley. Valley didn't look to franchise itself and instruct Kurt and myself and others to say, here, it's going to look exactly the way Valley Church does. In fact, what we tried to do, which I think every church ought to do, but we tried to look at this and say, what's, what's absolutely essential? What must we do? And then what has God given us freedom to do? Here's a really tough question. In trying to figure out what is supposed to happen on a Sunday morning, it's a tough question to answer because it looks different depending on the community that's there. In fact, the way your church looks is much more a reflection of the community that's there and what's grown up out of it than it is, per se, what's been prescribed. Because what's been prescribed is actually very minimal. And so for those of you who've traveled and maybe gone to churches in other places, it looks different in Charlotte, North Carolina, Portland, Oregon. Go down to Santa Clarita, California. Head over to Manchester. It looks a little bit different. Nairobi. It looks a little different than here. Um, Lauren and Tamara Ware. Uh, have spent a lot of years of their lives looking to establish and pour into the building up of churches in Kyrgyzstan. You want an interesting conversation after church? Go and talk to Tamara. I don't see Lauren here today, but you go talk to, to Tamara about that. The church looks different in different parts of the world. And that's actually by God's design. Few things before I, I get to some some kind of fill-ins here is uh, just to, to keep this in mind that that our mission and we, we tried to really think about this as well here our mission is not to create a worship service our mission is to create disciples that's the big idea not to create this really amazing worship thing I think we ought to do our absolute best in using the arts and using um, the word and and using all of our creativity coming together to be able to create things that just that just mm, like invigorate our mind and open our hearts to new ways of seeing things. But at the end of the day, our mission is to make disciples, not a cool worship experience. That's always at the heartbeat of what we're trying to do. The New Testament doesn't give many specifics. There's a lot of freedom. Thirdly, our, our corporate worship experience is a reflection of our daily walk. This is kind of hinted at in the title this week. Do you want to know how your weekend worship service is going to go? I'll tell you how. Look at... Look at Saturday and Friday and Thursday and Wednesday and Tuesday and Monday. You get the idea. Us coming together collectively is a reflection of how it's been going all week long. I love that in the, in the community group focus, here's the most recent answer to prayer that you can just celebrate with us as a community group. Hey, we were praying for a couple new families and praise God that, that God's provided that. That's just an exciting thing to hear. Sometimes people come to worship, and, and, and I've felt this way. 
You walk away feeling like it was kind of flat. You didn't get much out of it. On and on it goes. And you kind of look at it. You say, well, how did I expect it was going to go? Was I just kind of hoping to kind of come in here and get a quick shot in the arm to kind of boost me up? Because I've been running from God all week or ignoring God all week or apathetic toward God all week. The way your weekend worship service experience will be reflected in how your week's been. One of the things we've tried to promote here, too, is the anti-American idol church where there's somehow performers on stage and you're all Simon Cowell or Paul Abdul or whatever, you know, making your, your, your judgments about what's going on up here. That's just something that we just reject outright. And we say, you know what, when, when Patty Smith comes up here and, and we've intentionally tried to use this morning the old and the new and the loud and the soft and, and hands and all sorts of different things. Patty didn't come up here to perform for you so you could judge her and say, wow, that was the single best uh, you know, signing performance I've ever seen. Or you mark her down a few points because technically, you know, this isn't quite majesty, it's this, or whatever. You're like, what? I mean, you know, it's ludicrous. I mean, I can say that about signing because we don't know jack about signing. But we, think, but we think we know about music and we think we know about the art of preaching and all these things and, and, and the art of prayer and how a community group thing should be done. Nonsense. That's not what this is about. And I appreciate, I appreciate this body of believers. I don't, I don't feel that. I don't feel that's a correcting mode that, that we have to constantly be in. But we have to guard against that because that's the culture that we live in. And there's a certain part of us that, that wants to talk about that. Far be it from us as a church to have our community groups ever go and be, you know, deciding or, or, or critiquing different elements of things. That's not to say people on stage are untouchable. That's ridiculous, and that's not at all true. But as a general rule, it's not what we're about. All right, so how about church? What is supposed to happen in a church? I put some, I put some good questions for you in your, in your bulletin this week that you can kind of have. I wanted you to have these uh, so that you could, so that you could uh, look at them. And by the way, these are some good questions to ask. Should the Lord move you from this community one day to another community? These are good questions to ask as you're looking for a new church. And say, did these sort of things go on? Or are they missing somewhere? And by the way, these aren't, I didn't just pick some that I think we do pretty good at. I think we do, I think we do fairly good at some of these by God's grace. I think there's others that we lack in some ways. But let me blitz through a couple of them. One was, did we lift up Jesus as the centerpiece of our worship? That's a really good question. Not, not all these kind of peripheral things that we you know, can get off, you know, sidetracked to. But was Jesus lifted up as the centerpiece of our worship this morning? That's a good question to mull on. A second one is, did we have a time in the scriptures learning from God, being challenged to put his words into action? Did that go on or did that not go on? Was the scripture upheld? A third thing is, did we pray together? Did we have time to slow down and quiet our hearts to hear God's voice and spirit? There were times in youth ministry, I would do nothing but this. I I realized, you know, week after week, I'd bang on kids. I'd be like, man, I want you in the Word so bad because you're anorexic. I mean, you're you're like asking me these things that, that God wants to fill you up with. And they'd say, well, I don't have time or it's boring or I don't get it. But somehow when we come together, I, I, I get it at church. And so the Lord put on my heart one time, you know what? Why don't you just open your Bible and just, just read the Sermon on the Mount? That's, that's your message that week. That way you guarantee that those who came to, to youth group that week, they got to hear the Sermon on the Mount, which is just a, man, it's a, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. 
And we didn't discuss it. We didn't, I didn't break it down. I didn't go into any of the language. We just read it. And there's just this power of God's word going out. And so that actually became years ago something that I did on a regular basis. Or certain weeks, we just hear God's word read. And that's a powerful thing. How about this? Number four, did we experience the love, joy, and encouragement of being together as a church? Was it all about the show? Was it all about kind of the cool drama? Was it all about the lighting? Was it all about, you know, the really slick greeting campaign? Or did we just come together as a church and get a sense that, man, this is what it means to be the body of Christ? Take a look on your way out this morning about these these pictures that are hanging on our back wall. And just be reminded of what it means to be the church of God. Powerful imagery. Number five, did we take the Lord's Supper regularly? At Neighborhood, just for those of you who may be new or don't understand, we don't take it every single week. We take it once a month at least, once a month. And on a regular basis, we come around and we take a a portion of our service and let that kind of dominate what we're doing and what we're talking about. That's a regular part of a church service. Number six is this. Uh, Am I behind here a couple? I've lost clicking ability, Carl. Can you help me out? Commence. There we go. Um, number six, did we somehow remind one another of our mission and why we exist? Um, now it's going. I think I just advanced it. Um, that's something that on a regular basis we ought to talk about. We ought to discuss what are we doing here. We're not playing church. We're not religious freaks. We're not here because we so love these chairs and we just really need to sit facing in one direction. It's just to remind ourselves. Man, as a band, we talk about this all the time. As a community group, you ought to remind yourselves what we're doing here. Why we're gathered here. It's so important to think about this stuff. And finally, did we enable people to individually contribute something to be a part of the body of Christ? A good test for a church is this. I really believe every person in leadership in some way, shape, or form ought to be about working themselves out of a job. I tried to do this as a youth pastor. I would tell interns under me, I don't plan on going anywhere. I don't sense God's call leading me anywhere from here. In fact, opposite. I'm trying to build a long-term thing here, and I plan on being here a really long time because that's how God's wired me. But I want you to know, I am trying to work myself out of a job where if I keel over tomorrow, this thing flies on its own. It's not dependent on my energy, my charisma, my amazing jokes, any of that. That this thing is built on Christ and there's leaders around that are built up and equipped to do this thing and figure out and keep it on track and do the right thing. That's my heart here as well. And that's why you won't see me standing here 52 weeks over this next year. It's because I need to be sitting right over there facing this way periodically receiving teaching from God's word from someone else. That's why Ben's leading worship and not Rob every single week. That's why we got to hear from Greg and from others. And, and it's, it doesn't mean that everyone in this room needs to somehow be up here like this somehow is the contribution. Every single week there's contribution being made. And this is so much broader than the offering. It's coming and saying, how can, I, how can I contribute to what's going on here? Here's one of my questions for you that I don't know you very well. Is I just like to know, I just like to know, who, what are you all about? I mean, if, if, if you're filled with God's Holy Spirit, you have gifts. And you've been wired a certain way. And so I, I want to know, what, what, what do you have to contribute to what we're doing here? What are you not doing right now that our body needs? That's part of why the elders go and spend time in your homes to go visit with you and meet with you and talk with you and pray with you and walk alongside you. 
Because it's important for us to figure this stuff out. Here's, we're going to end with the same question that, that we did last week. What can I do? What can I do with all of this? This is all kind of lofty and up here. What are some specific things I can do? Here they are. Do you know that you can prepare for worship? There are certain songs you'll be reading through. Most of your Bibles have notes that say this is a song of ascent, as in climbing. And as people would walk up to Jerusalem, they would sing certain songs in preparation for the worship service. This was seen in China. You'd get to China, and several hours early, the choir, which is the congregation, is already singing, warming up for the main event, which is the revival service or the worship service or whatever we were doing there. And it was powerful. I thought, man, that's like the song of a sense. It's getting your heart prepared for worship. Don't we need that? We don't ever want to use the first couple songs to kind of warm you up and prime the pumps a little bit. That's really on you as a body to, to come prepared to worship. I've led worship in a lot of different places. And I can, re- I can totally tell when leading worship, when people are there and they're ready from the very first moment, or whether it kind of takes them a little while to get going. Here are some things you can do to prepare as an individual, as a family. First is just resting up. The idea that family worship begins on Saturday night. And just, and just the thought of, play it out in your mind. If you get your kids to bed super late because you pushed it really late the night before, how's Sunday morning going to go for you? Terrible, right? Your kids will be utterly insane. You will have no patience for it because you got to bed super late. It's just, that's how it goes. And, and sometimes week after week we can get into a rut and go, I just don't know what's going on. Well, maybe part of it is that your worship service is is starting too late. Let it start on Saturday night. One of the things I've done since I was a kid is to pray for the servants the next day. Pray for Sunday school teachers the next day. Pray for the person preaching, leading worship, setting up chairs, people coming, people wrestling in their homes with whether they should come to church that week or not. It's a spiritual battle in. Get your kids praying for people the night before for Sunday morning worship. Anticipate what's coming the next day. We talk about that as a family. We talk about what's happening the next day at church. And there's, a, there's an anticipation that's kind of built up into that. Going along with that, a godless movie, partying, immoral actions, behaviors, gorging yourself at a restaurant. All of this is accepted weekend behavior. Do you know this? This is normal, right? To engage in all of that on Saturday night and then to come and worship is this idea of separating your lifestyle from worship. And it doesn't work. I had kids. They'd never tell me while they were in my youth group. But years later, they'd tell me, you know, Dave, once in a while I came to youth group having just, you know, been stoned the night before. Some of them I'd say, yeah, I kind of suspected that, actually. Some of them I'd say, wow, pretty powerful. You, could, you fooled me. And yet we, we, we sometimes never grow out of that. That's not just a high school behavior. Sometimes we, we, can, we can engage in the same sort of thing. That will determine how your weekend worship goes. Here's the second one, arriving early. I know I'm pushing some buttons on this one. Some of you are like, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm not remembering this percentage right here. Here's what I mean by arriving early. It's just creating margin in your life to allow for something to happen. Here's something that I love. I've seen a general exodus to the back parking lot. There are more and more people saying this. My worship is going to begin when I pull in this driveway and I'm going to park out in the dirt back lot 
for the intentional purpose of thinking of someone else as more important than myself. My legs work just fine. I tend to wear Doc Martens, which have a thick heel. So in the mud, who cares? Others in this room have a harder time getting into the church. Let them have the close spots. That's a joy to see. That's connecting worship with the act of worship, with, with, with what goes on in here and connecting with what goes on out there. Showing up early allows for that. Showing up early allows time for you to settle before the first note, before the first word is spoken. To just show up early and just, okay, now we're here and, ah, uh, okay. Instead of having all of that stuff going on while the service is going, just say, man, I want to maximize our time here. It's been precious to see during the sound check some of our teachers that come in and just go, man, I, I miss this, I long for this. Uh, is it okay if I just worship during the sound check? And we check with the band, and they're like, I guess so. I think that's allowed. Yeah, that's totally cool. Come and do that. Some weeks you just need to have your heart quieted. I've gone up to some of you and just said, hey, how are you doing? And they say, good. And there's a sense that says this. I don't think anyone's ever said this to me, but they're saying, you know what, Dave, could you just not talk to me? I'm just actually here early to just kind of quiet my heart. And so I just get that, and I just kind of say, man, it's so good to see you this morning. I just kind of pull away and let him just sit there. You've been yapped at all week long. You don't need the pastor coming up. Hey, how's it going? I want to minister to you. Shut up. Leave me alone. Stop. This practically helps with our children's check-in. Our children's check-in in general, we have all kinds of technical difficulties. We have like computer demons or something going on. We're not sure what. But 1010. You showing up early and not, and not being a part of the mad dash at the last 10 minutes, it helps us. It helps you as a family to kind of get things in and dispersed. It also gives you opportunity um, to, to just uh, give preference. Uh, number three, telling God that you're here to focus on Him. Psalm 86.11 says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Isn't it so easy to be driving to church, be sitting in church and thinking about lunch, thinking about plans, thinking about your week? Man, I struggle with that. I, I, I want to be over here worshiping and not even so tied to once in a while I have to check the schedule. When am I supposed to preach? And I love this place because there's been times where I've literally thought, oh, I better find my microphone because I think I'm up right now. That's why there's a pause. Because I've been allowed to worship. I haven't just been so dialed in. But there's other times where I'm, I'm totally divided. And I just go, Lord, I, I want to focus on you. You know what? You can prep for worship by telling God, I'm here to focus on you. That's what I'm doing here. Finally, this. Remember that you're here to give and not to receive. Tell God that you're here to seek His face and not His hand. Let me say that again. Tell God that you're here to seek His face and not His hand. That blesses the Lord. That puts a smile on God's face. When we come and we say, no hidden agenda here, God. I'm just here to bless you. Read through the Old Testament. It's all about bringing to the temple. Bringing your offering. Bringing your praise. You're giving here, not receiving. Guess what? Do you receive on a Sunday? Absolutely. When you give your life away, you find it. You walk away going, God, you're too good. I mean, I thought I was here to give and to serve, and I was, and I did, but I walk away non-empty-handed, but, but full. It's amazing. Band, I want to invite you guys to come on back up. 
We're going to close with a couple of songs. And I want to just challenge you to give to God right now while we sing. To give to Him praise. By the way, in thinking about our daily walk, I think everything that I just said with preparation for our Sunday morning worship works here as well. Think about this daily. What if daily you were anticipating worship? You were, you were living a healthy lifestyle in such a way that you, you, were, you were anticipating worship. What if, secondly, the idea of arriving early is that you created margins in your life, margins of time in your life. Have you ever been driving down the road and you've been late somewhere and you've seen someone be stopped on the side of the road and you've been prompted to say, man, I really should stop and help them? And, and you know, the story of the Good Samaritan pops in your mind or whatever, and then, you, and then you're in a crisis mode, Right? It sure is right to honor your word and to be on time. And I'm not, I'm not being facetious. I think that's really true. We're also called to, to serve. You know how you can eliminate that sometimes? You just allow margin in your time to, to get there early. You'll be amazed at how God fills up your time with ministry opportunities because you've kind of created some margin. Thirdly, narrowing your focus, setting your mind on things above. Can't we do that every single day, every single moment? That can be an ongoing prayer. It is an ongoing prayer for me. Lord, I'm sidetracked right now. I'm, I'm thinking on things here on earth. Give me a focus on you. And finally, be a giver and not a taker. That's something that can happen every single day. Take these four things. Prepare your day for worship. Do that six days in a row and then show up next Sunday. And let's talk about how things went with that. Let's pray. God, this topic of worship is huge because you're a huge God. We know it's close to your heart. And Father, I thank you that you've given us your word that instructs us, that offers us freedom. God, I pray you give us as people a heart like yours that gives people the freedom to be who they are in worship. And yet, Lord, to follow to the letter how it is you want us to worship. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this community in the hearts and lives of people. I pray that we would see our Sunday gatherings as a sacred time, an important time, because of our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.